0: Just say a word of prayer together. <clears throat> Father, thank you that your mercy speaks louder than our sin. Yes. What would we do without you? Thank you that your mercy reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness stretches to the sky. God, some of us today are in deep need of mercy. And some of us are in that need, but don't even know it. And so wherever we are, we pray that the Holy Spirit would prick our hearts today to grab hold of the mercy that grabs hold of us. So thank you for the promise of your presence. Thank you for the privilege of opening up your word today. We ask that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts Holy Spirit, guide us into truth, we pray. Let the family say, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Happy Sabbath, friends. <laughs> I'm jazzed about that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that, Melody. Um, has it been a good week for you? Yeah. If it hasn't, that's okay. Just want you to know the week's not over. <laughs> it's Sabbath today. And God has promised that on this day, uh, His presence is available to us in a very, very special and sacred way. And so, welcome to the Sabbath. Welcome to His presence. Um, For those of you who uh, don't know, there is a special prayer conference that is going on um, at the Sirius Church, also in conjunction with the Central Valley Christian Academy. And um, I don't know what your prayer life has been like lately, but I would just encourage you that if you're, if you're looking for reason to pray, if you're looking for motivation to pray, to stir your heart again to pray and seek out after God, go. Uh, this afternoon after lunch, uh, I think from 2.30 to 5, there are going to be uh, different breakout sessions, different seminars and workshops. Um, Jose Rojas will be presenting one, Nathan Renner from Sonora, uh, Pastor Anil, Pastor Kano from Turlock. So all these other area pastors, I was supposed to, but... Well, I was supposed to. <laughs> anyways, I just um, got a three-month-old and a three-year-old. What, what can I do? No, I'm not making excuses, but, um, but God just uh, instructed me otherwise. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, so, if you can, be there. Go ahead and be there. I'm going to be able to take part in the communion service there. It's a kind of an agape feast. So, yeah. Um, if you're there, I'll see you there. The Passion... Of the Christ. That's going to be our sermon series for the rest of the month. The Passion of the Christ, Part One Seeking the Lost. Do you know what passion is? Do you know what your passion is? Merriam-Webster's dictionary says passion is an intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction, it's an ardent affection. A strong liking or desire for or devotion to some activity, object, maybe a small brown bunny, or a concept. Do you know what passion is? Do you have a passion, a strong, ardent desire, an intense overmastering conviction that overrides everything else? Do you know what passion is in your life? Maybe the better question is, do you know what the passion of Christ is? That's right. So we're calling this The Passion of the Christ, and no, I'm not referring to Mel Gibson's 2004 film that, that highlighted the savagery of uh, Christ's last 12 hours on earth. That's not what I'm talking about today. But, but we do recognize that it is passion season. You know, in just uh, two weeks or so, we're going to be entering into what most of Christendom calls Holy Week or Passion Week. So named because it was during that week, during those final scenes of Christ's life, that you could see demonstrated visibly, vividly, the things that make the heart of God beat. And it's to seek and save that which was lost. All the way to the cross. Because when one is lost, God will seek at all cost. Today we're going to be looking at the Passion of the Christ from The perspective of Luke chapter 15, because here Jesus demonstrates something very, very clear. So go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and for the rest of this month, we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 15, because I think there we see something about the passion of the Christ. And you know, something I learned in high school, actually maybe I wasn't even in high school yet, it was my eighth grade teacher, her name was Norma Howard, she told me something very special, actually she kind of repeated this um, very often for our class to hear. If you're turning Luke chapter 15, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of time to get there. But, uh, but my teacher, my eighth grade teacher, she always said something that kind of stuck. She said, by beholding, we become, does anybody know? We become changed. That's right. By beholding, we become changed. It's, a, it's an essential life principle. Uh, the the kind of company that you keep, the more you look and see how they act and behave, guess what? You're going to begin to reflect how they act and behave in your own life. And here's the thing, as we look at the passion of the Christ the next three weeks, my hope and prayer is that we will behold and become changed. In other words, that his passion will become our passion. That his passion will become our mission. So here we are, Luke chapter 15. I should have given myself time to get there. Sorry about that. If you're there, say amen. All right, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. For this series, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. So if you've got a Pew Bible, that's the NIV, I think. Um, whatever version you've brought is perfect. So Luke chapter 15, I'm beginning in verse 1. And the Bible says, Now, the tax collectors and quote unquote sinners were all gathering around to hear him. To hear who? jesus right okay so i'm a visual person if you just kind of imagine the movie in your mind the picture that's taking place it says the tax collectors and sinners i mean if if you are someone who is reading luke's gospel you're hearing tax collectors and you're hearing sinners and it's almost like you're hearing nails on a chalkboard okay this like oh tax collectors and sinners oh scum of all scum in character and in calling Okay, not, not, not just uh, the, the things that they're known for, but the things that they actually invest in. Tax collectors and sinners, and notice the action, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. It's interesting, the verb there is, it's a continuous form. It's not that they gathered once, but that they kept going to Jesus. And so there's a picture, a beautiful picture of Jesus, who's just such, of, a, of such a magnetic character and personality that even the lowest of the low are drawn to him. It's a beautiful picture. They want to hear. They want to listen. It's such a, I don't know, it's, it's a happy moment in my mind. But then, verse 2, dashes that. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. What does your word say? What does your Bible say? The Pharisees and scribes, maybe? They, what did they do? They, they complained. They grumbled. They grumbled. They muttered. The word is actually, the Greek word, it's diagagoutso. Okay, it's kind of, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's actually an onomatopoeia. You know what an onomatopoeia is? Uh, it, it's, it's a word that sounds like the very word that you're trying, or the very concept that you're, you're trying to convey. So when you say, bam, that's, that's an onomatopoeia. Or ring, ring, that, that's an onomatopoeia. It's supposed to sound like it. So diagagoutso, it's supposed to sound like okay? It's supposed to sound like grumbling, even growling. It's an intense word. It's almost like you're, you're imitating a, a sound of just like friction and tension. And it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and that is also in the continuous. So it's not just once they muttered, but they kept muttering about this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know if you're familiar just with that first century culture, but the gestures that Jesus was partaking in, these, his actions were communicating something very bold and revolutionary. You know, that was an honor-shame society. You were either in or you were out. But Jesus disregarded all of that. And in his action, he's not just sharing a meal. He's not just saying, hey, I eat, so anyone, who, anyone else who eats ought to eat with me. No, he's not just saying that. He's saying, when you share a meal with someone, you're saying, I accept you. I'm at peace with you. You're one of mine. So when he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, he's saying, I accept you. I'm at peace with you. You're one of of mine. And while tax collectors and sinners were drawn to that, there were some who grumbled about it. (laughs) This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, which tells me just the very fact they're complaining about this and they're doing it out loud consistently, it tells us something, not just about who Jesus is, but it tells us something about who they are. It tells us something about pharisees and scribes who were so concerned about the lines and maintaining us and them that they had no regard for the other. It's interesting, there's a mentality that that can creep into our, into our mindset even if we're not careful. It's a concern of self-preservation. It's a value that says, look, uh, I'm God's people, and so my primary concern as God's people is to remain separate from sinners, when in reality, the primary concern of God's people is to seek sinners, and that's what Jesus was doing, and so this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. See You know, parables are very powerful, potent lessons. You can read a parable in a vacuum and get some lessons out of it. But I just want us to see who Jesus is saying this parable to. Jesus is saying this parable, this familiar parable of the lost sheep. He's saying this parable to people who are vocally and verbally complaining about... Why in the world would Jesus cross these lines? Why in the world would Jesus tear down these boundaries? Uh, He's he's impacting, I'm taking offense because I am more concerned about self-preservation here. And so now he's telling this parable and he's going to reframe the whole situation. He's going to reframe the whole dynamic and he does it in three different ways. First, he redefines who the sheep are. Let's take a look. Verse four, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses how many of them? One. one. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you just lost one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus is telling us something here about the value of one. Let me say it again. Jesus is telling us something here about the infinite value of one. It might be natural for us to say, hey, look, He's got 99 others. Why worry about one? I'm sure one of those maybe is going to have a baby sometime soon, so that one that's lost will be replaced. But when Jesus looks at one, he looks at one that is indispensable. He looks at one that is of infinite value in the eyes of God. He even leaves the 99 (laughs) in the open country. I don't know if you, for me, you know, we, we've got these uh, Bible stories at home that we read to, to Jenna. And there's one about Jabel the shepherd. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Jabel the shepherd, in that, in that story, Jabel brings the 99 home. And, he, and it's when he brings them home that he realizes that there's one that's lost. But no, this is not what the parable is saying. The shepherd feels such an urgency about things that he leaves the 99 where they are and runs to get the sheep because when one is lost the shepherd will seek at all cost wow the infinite value of one Now, this isn't to say that the shepherd is reckless, okay? This isn't to to say that the shepherd doesn't care about the 99. You know, uh, different sources that I've looked at, commentaries, etc., they'll say that shepherding often took place in teams. It was a a team effort, it was a community thing, so he either left it under the care of a hireling, you know, or an assistant, or there were other shepherds in the area who were grazing their flocks, and they could keep an eye on the 99 as well. So, this doesn't say anything about irresponsibility, this says something about the urgency of the shepherd. So here's the thing. Why is it that even one would be of such great value to God? I don't know if you were ever like me as a young kid, but you, maybe you collected things as a young person, or maybe you, you do collect things. What, maybe Beanie Babies? I don't know, Quarters? <laughs> um, let's see here. When I was growing up, my brother, he collected baseball cards. And uh, there was one that, um, it was the rookie card, rookie year of Ken Griffey Jr. I don't know if any, any baseball card collectors out there, but that, that card was precious to my brother because he, you know, he followed this uh, Beckett guide of, you know, the value of baseball cards, etc., and it was increasing in value every single year. Now, there are certain things that make the value of a card or a car increase. One of those things is When there's only a few of those cards or cars around. For example, let's see, Pastor Schooley, you were telling me about your 69 Ford Mustang, right, that you used to have. And I I, I googled this actually just the other day. There were only 4,900 of those made. Uh, Actually, 4,900 69 Ford Mustang GTs that were made. And so you can imagine that even in 1969, those GTs were very valuable. But take it now to 2013, and how many 69 Ford Mustang GTs do you have around? Probably much less than that. And so when the numbers dwindle, guess what happens to the value? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there there might be, what, 30,000, 2004 Ford Mustangs around. But if there's only five, six, I'm, I'm just throwing out numbers here. If there's only five, six, et cetera, of a certain kind, then their value goes sky high. Now just imagine what happens when there's one left. Then their value is infinite. It's worth as much as anybody will pay for it. Here's the thing. You and I there's no one like you. No one. Someone may have the name Godfrey somewhere in the world. <laughs> if they do, I don't know that. <laughs> Someone may even have the name Godfrey Miranda. But no one's going to have my fingerprint. No one's going to have the characteristics of my retina. No one's going to have the characteristics of my whole life experience up to this point. Even if I were able to duplicate myself, even if I were able to somehow genetically just boom, here's another of me. Whoo! careful. Okay. <laughs> that, that genetic replication, duplication, whatever you want to call it, that thing would not be me because they didn't live my life. So watch this. I am the only me. You are the only you. You think sometimes you're dispensable. You think sometimes you're replaceable. But in the eyes of God, he sees your whole life history. He sees everything that's made you you. And says, you're of infinite value because you're my only shot at you. Wow. That's why. That's why he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Because he sees such infinite value in the one. So Jesus redefines the sheep. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he, he characterizes the shepherd. He, he redefines and reframes what the shepherd is all about. Go again, Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99? It's almost like a matter of fact. Look, this is just how a shepherd thinks. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I love that last phrase. Go after the lost sheep until he finds it. You know what this tells me about Jesus? You know what this tells me about the shepherd? Is that Jesus as the shepherd is a mobile God. Now, I'm not saying that he's, you know, like, he's someone I can take around in my pocket, etc. No, he's not like a mobile cell phone. No, he's, he's mobile in the sense that he moves. In the opening chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees a vision of God's throne. I don't know, it's a vision that has often confused me. But one of the things that, that Ezekiel sees is he sees a wheel within a wheel. Is anybody, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way up in the middle. Okay, so here's the thing. I've always wondered, why, why describe the throne of God with wheels within wheels and, you know, cogs and things like that? What, what's going on? That tells me about movement. That the throne of God moves. He's not stationary. When you go, he'll go after. The shepherd moves. And he'll move fast, he'll move hard, and he'll move until he finds it. Wow. That's a good shepherd. That is a good shepherd. Verse 5. And when he finds it. Ah. (laughs) When he finds it. Not if he finds it. When he finds it. Oh. When he finds it, He sorrowfully and tyrannically and really in an upset, diagagutso kind of voice, puts it on his shoulders and brings it home. Is that what the Bible says? No, 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 no. NIV says he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, the shepherd is tender and he's joyful. Tender in the sense that he actually, he doesn't just like, you know, take his rod and staff and golf it all the way home. Mm-mm. I mean, he maybe had a right to do so. Look, I could have been somewhere else. I could have been, you know, basking, getting, getting my shepherd tan even out there in the sun. But no, here I am, searching for you, little thing. No, that's not, that's, he's not demeaning. He's not condescending. He's tender. And He's gentle. You know, uh, one commentary says about sheep that are lost. Let me read it here. Lost sheep cut off from the flock, frequently sit down, refuse to move, and bleat incessantly. (laughs) On finding it, the shepherd would indeed have to carry it because it wouldn't go on its own. Now, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why sheep even get lost in the first place. They're very social creatures. They, you know, they follow the flock generally. But, but I guess there's a wandering eye. There's a tendency to just kind of go and get kind of insulated in, in its own experience at times. But for whatever reason the sheep is lost, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that the shepherd goes and finds it. And when he finds it, how he finds it, he finds it tenderly. And he finds it joyfully. Lays it on his shoulders and brings it home. That's a good shepherd. That's a very, very good shepherd. So when one is lost, God will seek at all cost. And when one is found, oh, he'll pull out all the stops and rejoice. (laughs) The rest of the story goes on. Verse 6, And he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there is more rejoicing, where? In heaven, over one sinner who repents, excuse me, over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus redefines who the sheep are and what value they are, even if it's just one. Then he recharacterizes the shepherd, that the shepherd is not some uh, just obligated, dutiful, I'll go get the sheep. No, no, no. The shepherd is dogged because he, he's, he's urgent and he's tender and he loves his sheep. Okay, so, so he redefines the sheep. He redefines the, the shepherd, but then he actually contrasts that shepherd with the other shepherds. Now, some of you are looking at me like, the other shepherds? <laughs> what are you, there's only one shepherd there. Do you realize that in this parable there are other shepherds? Look again. See if you can find it. Do you see it? What verse is it in? Someone's looking. Someone's looking. There's, there's, there are other shepherds, at least implied. It says it in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Let's think about this a little bit. Jesus says, look, I'm like that shepherd. But then he contrasts that good shepherd with not-so-good shepherds. And who are those not-so-good shepherds? The people who he's talking to, right? In this context, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. In this context, it's those who who are muttering. In this context, it's those who are more concerned about self-preservation than they are about self-sacrifice for a lost lamb. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. I want you to keep a finger here and go to an Old Testament passage called Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel's in the Old Testament after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, when you've found it, say Amen. Okay, okay, page is still turning, that's all right. Ezekiel 34. Jesus is actually saying, look, you are one of those shepherds that should be seeking and saving the lost too. Take a look, Ezekiel 34, because there's an Old Testament passage here that that is really informing this whole scenario. Again, if you're there, say amen. Okay, Ezekiel 34, you've got to see this, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of what? Of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel, and this is how the NIV puts it, who only take care of themselves. Ouch. Let's read that again. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Verse 3, you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. I mean, this is irresponsibility at its highest, right? (laughs) A shepherd is entrusted with, with, with the care of helpless creatures. And here that shepherd is, or here those shepherds are, taking care of themselves, making sure that all their little bitty needs and luxuries are met at the expense of These helpless creatures. Keep going. Verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Now, this is a little more graphic than than the Luke 15 parable. But this is is in the mindset of Jesus. This is in the mindset of probably his hearers who are well familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. Alright, so verse 4 continuing on. You have not brought back the strays or searched for. The lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. They were prey to all the predators. All because you wouldn't seek and save the lost. My sheep, verse 6, wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Jesus is contrasting the good shepherd from the faithless shepherds. In Luke 15, he's saying, Imagine yourself as a shepherd. And they don't have to imagine themselves as that, because they are that. But they're not being the faithful shepherds. They are not seeking and saving. So Jesus is is putting these two against each other, and it's no wonder. It's no wonder. Later on in this chapter, he tells us, let's see if we can find the verse. Later on in verse 11, it says, For this is what the Sovereign Lord, this is still Ezekiel 34. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. So in the absence, in the vacuum of faithful shepherds, Jesus says, nah, I'll do it. I will seek. I will go after until I find them. You're back in Luke chapter 15. And here Jesus is, he's contrasting the shepherds, these self-indulgent shepherds, these shepherds who are more concerned about preserving themselves. And he's redefining the primary concern of what shepherds ought to be thinking. You see, the primary concern of God's people is not to remain separate from sin, or to not, not just to remain separate from sinners, but the primary concern of being God's people is to seek and save sinners. How does that land with you today? (laughs) When you think about what it means to be God's people, is it more a concern of remaining uh, blameless and without blemish? Or is it a concern of realizing that you have a sacred responsibility to seek those who are blemished all over? He's redefining what it means to be a shepherd of God. And it's not just to take care of ourselves while those that are lost remain prey to the predators, wandering far, far away. There's an ugly mindset that happens. Um, in Christ object lessons, Ellen White says this. She says, The rabbis of the day, the rabbis had a saying that there is rejoicing in heaven when one who has sinned against God is destroyed. Ugly. She goes on, But Jesus taught that to God the work of destruction is a strange work, that in which all heaven delights is the restoration of God's own image in the souls whom he has made. Wow. That's Christ Object Lessons, page 190. Thanks for asking. Christ Object Lessons, page 190. So here's the thing. While these shepherds, quote-unquote, While these shepherds were busy about shunning sinners, the good shepherd is all about shouldering them. (laughs) Thank you for being a gentle shepherd. These are some broad shoulders because there's a lot that Jesus must carry. And he'll go and he'll go until he finds it. And when he does, with tenderness and joy, he'll lay that lamb. On his shoulder, the same shoulders upon which there was laying a cruel cross. those are the shoulders upon which Jesus lays you and me. Yeah. You're weak, you're helpless. you refuse to move because you're not maybe you're frozen in fear or maybe you're just stubborn. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're bleeding incessantly, but Jesus the shepherd will go until he finds you. And when he does, with joy, he'll lay you on those scarred shoulders all the way home. That's the gentle shepherd. That is the good shepherd. Because when one is lost, God will seek at all cost. So today, simple message, simple parable. What's your response? Where do you find yourself today in that story? I imagine that maybe there are some of us here who feel like they're that one far and away. Somehow cut off from the flock. The story of how you got cut off I don't know. The stories can be varied. The stories may be my fault, your fault, his fault, her fault. But Jesus says, I'm going to go after whatever fault." Okay. And so maybe maybe today you're finding yourself in the position of the one lost lamb. And you, your heart needs to hear that upon you, God places infinite value. There's a wanted poster out there for you. And the reward, the cost, Jesus is willing to pay cannot be described in mere words, but only shown in beautiful action. You're that lost lamb today, and I just want to encourage you that Jesus is looking for you. And he wants to put you on his shoulders today. I don't know how bruised you are. I don't know how beaten you are. I don't know how disappointed you may be. Yeah, all of the above. Jesus wants to shoulder you today. I don't know if you've experienced being shunned, but Jesus wants to shoulder you today. He's seeking the lost, because that's his passion. That's his overmastering, overriding conviction. Whew, I'm going to find my sheep. I'm going to find my sheep, and he's looking for you. So maybe you're in this, the place of the sheep today, friends. I would imagine that if you, maybe you don't necessarily feel like you're lost out there. But friends, if you're listening on the side of the ph- Pharisees and the scribes today, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is calling you to be a faithful shepherd. Yeah. Okay? Jesus is calling us to be faithful shepherds. Yeah. Here at Parkwood Church, what is our primary concern? What is our primary concern going to be? What is our overmastering vision and drive as a community of faith? Is it going to be to make sure that we look as pretty and pristine as possible, both on the outside and the inside? Is, is that what maybe? Yeah, sure. I'm not saying that we disregard personal holiness and seeking sanctification because Jesus wants to sanctify us and set us apart. He's, he's living in, in heaven right now, interceding for you and I, blotting our transgressions. That's what he wants to do. But over and above that, I would say, you know, Jesus, in John chapter 17, he says, I sanctify myself for, excuse me, I sanctify myself for their sakes. And he's speaking of his disciples. So, so in our pursuit of holiness, in our pursuit of being right with God, friends, let us not be neglectful of the calling of God to seek and save the lost. So as we consider what we're about, what our primary concern as a people of God is, let it not be that's the mumbling of the scribes and Pharisees, please. Let it not be to separate ourselves from sinners, but to seek them and save them. And they could be right next to you. So today it's a twofold appeal. One, you're a lost sheep. Let Jesus shoulder you today. Two, you're an unfaithful shepherd. Behold the passion of Christ and become changed. Okay. Behold the passion of Christ and become changed. Hey, maybe today, in, this, in these closing minutes, you've, maybe there's a pencil in, in the pew, a pen in your pocket. I want you to consider, who is it? Who is it that God would want to bring to mind today? Who is it that God would want to lay on my heart today that is somewhere far and away, maybe not geographically far, but far and away, distant from the throne of God, distant from the hand of God, from the flock of God. And God is actually asking you to go after, to get on the the wheels within wheels uh, mentality and just go and find until you get them. Maybe there's one, maybe there's two, maybe it's a wish list of five. I don't know what it is. But would you just take a moment to prayerfully write down a name? You're looking at me still like I'm just kind of rhetorically talking, but I I want you to take, how about this, Uh, 94 seconds, okay? I'll I'll give you 94 seconds, and I'll count them literally. No, I I probably won't. But I'll give you a little bit of time just to write down a name or two, prayerfully asking, God, who, who am I seeking for? Who do you want me to seek for today, okay? Let's just take a few moments. Let's take a few moments for that. Give you thirty more seconds, okay? (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) The reality is, you may need more time, because I do. I have a wish list, but it's too long. But who does God want you to seek for? God's calling us to be faithful shepherds, to reflect the passion of the Christ, to seek and save that which is lost. This month, I want us to be praying. Can we be, is that okay? I mean, can we be thinking together about this? I mean, let's encourage one another and say, hey, who are you seeking for? Maybe you don't need to mention specific names, but ask each other, how can I pray for you in your search for that which is lost? Let, let's be a team of shepherds, right? It's a team effort. Okay. So today, wherever you may find yourself in that story, I pray that you would know and be changed by the passion of the Christ to seek and save that which is lost. Maybe that name on the list is you. And Jesus wants to shoulder you today. Maybe that list is someone you think is impossible. But I, here's the thing. You and God are going to be co-laboring on this together. Okay? So let's bow our heads for prayer as we close. God, you're so good to us. <laughs> so, so good to us. Lord, I, I pray a special prayer just now for those in our congregation who feel like they're disconnected, whether from you or your people. But I thank you so much that you've brought them here to this room. And that even now your Holy Spirit is searching, searching, searching. You're leaning over and saying, let me carry you today. Thank you, God, that your mercy runs and will not say no. (laughs) To us, Lord, you are a good God. And so I thank you for shouldering us today. Father, I pray also that we as individuals and we as a church family, we as a corporate body, would begin to reflect the passion of the Christ in our own lives, that we would take this as our marching orders, that this would be our mission. God, uh, impress upon our hearts those that we need to seek intentionally, deliberately, doggedly. God, give us that zeal, that burden, a heaven-born love for those who do not know your love. Thank you so much for being faithful to us. And thank you for the ways that you're going to use us. Thank you for the ways that someone's eternity is going to change and and the parties that heaven is going to throw because of the things you're going to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. amen.